Hey everyone, I'm Brenda and I'm Julia and you're listening to Roaring Twenties Podcast. Your 20s are known as both the most exciting and most confusing years of your life. We're here to share our stories, to have real and raw conversations, and best of all, to make you feel a little less alone. This podcast was brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Roaring Twenties Podcast. Today, we have on with us Dr. Sneha Ghazi. She is a physical therapist that specializes in pelvic and orthopedic health. We are so excited to have her. We're going to be talking about that, some things about women's health. I'm so excited to learn from her, and thank you so much for being here. It's my pleasure. I'm excited to do this. We, we can't wait. We have so many questions. When I came across you, it was from a mutual friend. I was like, I know nothing about this. And I feel like I should know something about this as a woman in her 20s. Yes, absolutely. I have so much to say about that. So we'll, I'm excited to share all the things. <laughs> yeah, we are going to dive into that. But first off, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about you, who you are and where you're from and what you do. Sure. So again, my name is Dr. Sneha Ghazi. I um, live in Manhattan, New York. I, like you said, I'm a physical therapist. Um, I specialize in orthopedics and I also specialize in pelvic health. So people call me pelvic floor physical therapist as well. Um, I have my own practice. I do concierge in home treatments in the New York City area. So the uh, four, not five boroughs. I don't go to Staten Island, um, but I do in-home visits to treat patients. And I do telehealth as well because I'm licensed in a couple of other states. So um, I'm able to reach a wider audience, especially with COVID. Sometimes it's just safer to do that. So that's kind of what I do for a living. And But I'm originally from Maryland. So I am, you know, came to New York thinking that I was going to be a journalist. And then lo and behold, I got into healthcare. So here I am. Awesome. So, so cool. Yeah. I remember when Julia first brought up having you on the podcast, I was like, oh my gosh, it's a hard yes. This is something that I feel like so many women need to learn more about. So um, how did you specifically get into this exact line of work? Like, is it something you always had somewhat of an interest in, or is there something in particular that sparked your, your interest in the field? Well, I'll tell you guys flat out, I have had a whole, whole bunch of pelvic floor issues myself. So one of the things that I experienced throughout like high school and really like for a, a big portion of my life was urinary incontinence where I would like sneeze and then I would pee myself or laugh really hard. And then I would leak urine, which is totally not common. And I would giggle about it. And my friends would joke about it and be like, oh, she's laughing again. But it was actually very bad. And I started to get to a point where it was just so... Uh, like obnoxiously abnormal for me. And so I, as I was learning about physical therapy, and then as I started physical therapy school, I just realized how many things happen to our bodies that we just take for granted and think is normal, especially in the female body. A lot of things that are kind of like hush, hush, like very shameful topics to talk about in the culture. But a lot of it is just so real and it happens to so many people. And then it kind of drew me into that. And also my mother went through a lot of issues as well. She saw a pelvic floor PT and she was like, after like 15 years of suffering a whole bunch of injuries, it was like six months and then she was all better. So I think there was like a couple of personal stories that got me into it. And yeah. it's funny because I've actually never seen a pelvic floor physical therapist for my issues. I actually just, once I became a PT, rehabbed myself and continue to rehab myself. So that's, that's a fun thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, we talk a lot about 
eating disorders and body image and stuff like that on this show. And we've had a lot of experts in those fields. And we talk a lot about gut health and stuff like that, because that's stuff that me and Brenna have struggled with. But it's like you said, like, especially for women, I think that there's so much of that hush hush, like, and we don't, I think sometimes even for ourselves, because we're not like told to, we don't question certain things that our bodies do or don't do. And we could, I I mean, I could imagine like being younger and being like, oh, this must be normal. Like, and it like totally not being normal or feeling like this feels abnormal, but I don't know who to go to about it. Like, who am I even supposed to tell this about? Do I tell my pediatrician? Like, so I can imagine that there's many women that can empathize with that story and probably feel like, oh, I've, I've experienced that. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Especially because women are, we go through this very um, interesting period of our lives, which people who have the male anatomy don't, which is pregnancy, right? So having that unique period of our lives changes our bodies so drastically. And just because of the hormones that we have in our bodies, I think it's just so important for, you know, the next generation of people who are teenagers and Gen Z to really understand that they can come forward and speak about their problems and they can actually get help. And there's actually very targeted evidence-based treatments that can solve your issue once and for all. And it requires work, but it's not hard work. It's just a lot of simple things that had I known some of these earlier, it would have changed my life. Yes. And that's like exactly, exactly why we kind of started this podcast. It's not, it's obviously not, you know, just about health, like physical health, but it's so important to us to, for people to feel like you're not alone in certain topics that may be taboo or hush hush and that, you know, we can open those conversations. So we're so grateful to have people like you to talk to us about it, but I want to hear a little bit more about the business and then we'll get into the health stuff. Okay. So I know, um, just talking to you a little bit earlier over email that you had some pushback when you wanted to like first start this business or some people that maybe thought that it wasn't going to flourish what what kept you going against the naysayers when you were first starting this business that is a little um more I hate that word taboo but different than than the normal business that one woman might start absolutely yeah so I so I graduated from physical therapy school and didn't work um under like a a company like corporate for a Mm -hmm. long time. I was, you know, barely there for a brief period of time and then immediately went into wanting to start my own practice and and did, was able to. So part of the pushback was from people who told me, you don't know what you're doing yet. You you need to be working for like 15 years to build your own practice. Mm -hmm. You need to be like a 20 year old veteran, like, you know, 20 years down the line Mm -hmm. in the field and you need to have all of these credentials and then you can open up your practice. And I kind of was just like, I feel, I, I feel very confident in the work that I do. And I feel like I can take people from point A to point B very successfully and treat them for their problems, be very empathetic. I'm not the perfect PT. I have so many things to learn, but I don't think that there's a reason why I don't feel qualified enough to. So a lot of that kind of like getting over imposter syndrome, getting over the cliche term of self-limiting beliefs and all of that stuff what I really did was listen to the podcasts, read the books, take the courses, put in the hard work after working 15 hour days at the clinic, coming home. My husband hated me. <laughs> it was like, what are you doing? I really would just like to pour a glass of wine and make pasta and just hang out with you. And I was like, 
I'm so sorry, but I need I to, do this. to do this. Yeah. And so I did, and I put my head down and I worked really hard and people told me, you know, the concierge model won't work in New York. People aren't going to want that, this and that. And a lot of people doubted the business model. Um, I didn't get a lot of pushback in terms of working in pelvic floor from my colleagues. I just know that probably my family, oh, I did. I actually did get um, one of my uncles. It's so funny. I'm going to send this to him just so he can listen to it. But he, <laughs> I remember I posted my first thing about um, how to treat bowel, bladder and sexual dysfunction with pelvic floor physical therapy. And he immediately got a text being like, Sneha, take that down right now off of Facebook. That's disgusting. What are you doing? Oh. And it wasn't a very like, like I knew he wasn't like mad at me, but I think he just thought like he was protecting me and being totally. like, oh my God, don't do that. And and meanwhile, in my head, I'm like, I've dissected cadavers and I have, you know, done all of this and it's right. just the it's human body. It's the health. body. So we're, we're just going to move on and ignore oh that comment. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm going to send this to him and send him the very specific seconds of what, that, what this part is. Just so he can... <laughs> shout out. Tell me, got a shout out. Yes. <laughs> and it, it can be so hard. It can be hard. I feel like, especially just like coming out of school and having all this passion. I feel like a lot of people, you know, have so much passion about certain things. And for you, it's clear that you are willing to put in the work and because you had that self-belief, at least from what it sounds like, because you had the self-belief and confidence to know, you know what? I feel that I am good enough to do this. I think that makes such a difference. We talk so much about self-belief on this podcast and we feel like a lot of the times the thing that kind of distinguishes people who, I don't want to say are successful versus aren't, but it's like continuing to push through the obstacles and continuing to put one foot in front of the other and have self-belief in those areas just makes such a big difference in the outcome. But why do you think that we don't know enough about pelvic health ourselves, people in our age group? And how do you feel that the media warps the way that we view our bodies? I think that part of, and this is a personal uh, opinion, um, obviously not an evidence-based comment, but although I'm sure that there is some evidence to back this up, I just think that the healthcare world has been so male-dominated for as long as we've had healthcare in a, like medicine and physical, like, you know, in that kind of a format, um, you know, GYNs are mostly male actually. And then now that's shifted a lot, but historically the medical profession didn't have a lot of females. We weren't allowed to go to medical school. Yeah, that's just so yeah. And a lot of medicine was in the male perspective mm-hmm. who are not experiencing female bodies, who don't know what pregnancy and postpartum feels like, who don't know what a period feels like, who don't know what hormonal things that are estrogen and progesterone in our bodies do to our brains and our bodies. Um, and so not having that personal experience, I think it's not uh, it's not their fault. It just creates a lack of empathy and understanding right. that only goes to a very like structural damage perspective, but not a functional quality of life perspective, if that makes sense. Totally so I think true. that that's the key to us learning so much more about our pelvic health, pelvic floors and about pelvic health, because there's so many more females coming into the field. Mm-hmm. Pelvic floor PT is not that old of a profession. It's not that old of a subcategory. It's fairly new compared to physical therapy in general and compared to medicine in general. So I think that all of that contributes to our lack of knowledge. And then of course, like you said, the media, I think like poise pads, like all of the pads that are like, Hey, if you leak, here's a pad. That's great. That's a quick, sure. Like the first six weeks postpartum, I would say wear it. But after that, this is a bandaid. We're not addressing the root cause of the problem. So those kinds of things make us feel like we're, it's, it's normal. It's, but the problem is that a lot of these things are common, 
but they're not normal and they should never be normal and people should always seek help. Yeah. It's so interesting to me and it's not to shame like the history of it. Like it's, it is what it is, but it is interesting how, you know, if someone's not experiencing certain things or it doesn't have life experiences in a certain way, because, you know, you're just born a different gender, like how, like the, just the lack of like empathy, which I think leads to like wanting to dig more into the research. So it's so wonderful to see, you know, just like the world opening up in that way and access and knowledge. And it's just so important because I just feel like even as a woman, I'm 25 years old and I'm still like, I don't get my period. I don't understand it. Or like certain hormonal things, like it's still, I'm experiencing it and I still don't understand it. So I can imagine someone who doesn't have to experience those things, like how the heck are they supposed to get it? Because I don't even get it and I experience it. For sure. Yeah. And I love what you said about things being common, but not normal. And the reason for that is because I, like the big piece of what we do here is wanting to make people feel less alone, talking about things that will relate to people and allow them to empathize or be like, oh yes, I've experienced that. Oh, it's not just me. But um, that key that something not being normal isn't a shameful thing. It's just like a reality of there are ways that you don't have to feel the way that you're feeling. There are ways that you can feel better. And I think like you said a little bit earlier on in, in the episode, so often we feel like, it's just the way that we have to live. And because we're afraid of asking questions or of being judged, or somehow if we don't have these types of conversations that maybe we are the only one somehow out of all the people in the world experiencing it, then we just kind of stay stuck in discomfort. So yeah. I think- Or just use the Band-Aid, like you said, and not get to the root of the problem. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So for a base, for anybody that doesn't know, like what exactly is the pelvic floor. What is it? Ser- what's pr- what purpose does it serve, and why is it important to keep that part of our body healthy? Great question. So the pelvic floor. If you imagine like a cereal bowl, mm-hmm. and then you put it on top of your lap, but then imagine it could like slide through your body and then go through to your torso. That's where it is, sort of. And <laughs> it's like it's like a, it's literally like a bowl. So your pelvis. So the, imagine the plastic of the or the ceramic of the cereal bowl are your bones, your pelvic bones, your spinal bones, like your lumbar spine, your sacrum, your tailbone, all of those bones make up that bowl. And then imagine that you lined the inside of the bowl with like sheets of aluminum foil and saran wrap and a whole bunch of stuff. And then you put cereal in it and then you put milk in it. So now the saran wrap and the aluminum foil and the sheet of paper, whatever you put inside of the bowl to line it, those are your connective tissue structures. So those are things like your muscles, your fascia, which is basically like cobweb, spider web things that just like keep everything together, like saran wrap actually. Um, those are ligaments, those are blood vessels, those are nerves, and just things that are in everywhere else in your body. That's yeah. where they are. And then the cereal are like your organs. So like your reproductive organs, your uterus, your fallopian tubes, your vaginal canal, your rectum, your bladder, all of those things. And then the milk is just like all of the things that suspend and keep <laughs> it in place, right? So that's kind of an analogy of a great what, analogy. what it is. Yeah. And so those are what it all consists of. But the floor itself is really, really important. Because if you think about it, we're sitting on our pelvic floors right now. Yeah. 
from your sit bone to your sit bone on either side, and then from your pubic bone all the way back to your tailbone. Anything that you sit on, like if you were to sit on a horse or on a bike or even on these chairs right now, what's supporting us and keeping us upright is that floor, that pelvic floor, okay? So that's like from- not give it enough appreciation. Exactly. And so it's holding the weight of our head, arms, and trunk, our our vital organs, our heart, our lungs, everything that's above that, it's supporting and holding that weight. Every time we move our legs and we walk forward and backward and we move our legs forward and backward, that pelvic floor is supporting that motion. That's kind of from your hips is where that motion is coming from, right? So your pelvis, your pelvic floor muscles, your pelvic floor ligaments and structures are all kind of controlling and Um, supporting all of the movements and the organs. And then what do we have in that area? We obviously have our bowel, bladder, and reproductive function, right? So things need to come in, things need to go out. And we, all of our function of like keeping continent, so not peeing ourselves, everything related to intercourse and childbirth is there. And then everything with our, the end of our GI tract is there. And all of those areas are surrounded by these muscles that actively control their function, just like what actively we do to move our hands and move our mouths to talk, those same kinds of muscles, they're called skeletal muscles. So we can voluntarily contract and relax them. That area consists of several voluntarily contractible muscles, for lack of a better word. Wow. So basically, and like super simple, like it's basically supporting like all that stuff that we have in there. (laughs) wow no really we don't give it enough credit because and when you think of muscle you know we think about muscles like stretching your muscles exercising your muscles building your muscle like I've never until hearing about you like I've never thought really other than one word that I know which we'll get to later um I've never really thought about how that I would need to exercise that muscle right? Like I know I need to exercise my abs or my glutes or my arms, but I'm not thinking like, Oh God, exercise my pelvic muscles today. Like you just don't think about it. We don't, we really don't. And I know we've, we've said before, it's, it's something that we don't feel like very well versed in at all. So what is, what are some things that you feel like every woman should know about pelvic health or just like women's health in general, if that that's something you, you want to tag on to? Well, yes, broad question. But I'll say the first thing is that you need to know where it is and what it does and how it functions. Mm-hmm. I will tell like if I could have a dime for every person, every woman that I've treated who's like, I don't want to look at the vagina area, like just do whatever you have to do. I just don't want to know what's happening. And I'm like, girlfriend, you are 100% part of this process. There is nothing that I do here. It's all you. So you need to know what's happening and you need to understand. Um, You need to be able to see what is normal down there. So you need to be able to look, see, feel, and touch to make sure that your areas are what your baseline is basically. So I'd say the first thing that people should know is what it is, where it is, what it does and how important it is. The second thing that I would want everybody to know, and this kind of would get into a long, long, long discussion of a laundry list of things, but how do you know when something is not going right. Mm. And how do you know when it's the system is off kilter? And when, when do you know that it's a point to go get help? So that's like a big, long discussion. And that's what I teach people in my practice, especially for people who come to me for sort of like educational workshops. I teach a lot of groups of women and mom groups and people who are trying to get pregnant or people who are postpartum. And I'll teach them, these are the things that you need to learn about your body and you need to know the signs and symptoms of dysfunction and who to get help from when you see those things because there's different points of entry for each of those kind of systems as well so 
that that's a big thing that I would say. And so I guess I'll just uh, in on that note, I'll just plug that I have a free video uh, YouTube and IGTV series that literally does this. I talk about, um, you know, four of the most common things that I see that are just very easily recognizable and, you know, taboo topics. So they're urinary incontinence, constipation, pain with intercourse and pelvic organ prolapse. And so they're on YouTube and they're on my IGTV and it's just free information to people for people to just learn about what, what the heck is that even mean? And when do I know that something's going on with my body? So I think that's important. Attention, attention, calling all sneaker lovers, calling all sneaker lovers. I have incredible news because our newest sponsor here at Roaring Twenties Podcast is eBay. eBay is the original sneaker marketplace and it is the place to go to cop the pair you've been eyeing. Whether it's a rare dead stock or the latest release, find the exact shoe you are looking for. With eBay's authenticity guarantee, your sneakers are meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators. So a team of experienced sneaker authenticators verified the logo, the box, the stitching, dozens of other inspection points. Each sneaker also receives an authenticity guarantee that includes a digital stamp of authenticity and it also protects sellers with a verified return policy. And for you sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers over $100, making it free to sell or flip your collection, which is just incredible. So go head over to ebay.com slash sneakers today dot ebay, the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection. So go ahead, girl, go get yourself a pair of cute sneaks. You deserve it. Get a pair for your boyfriend, for your dad, your mom, your dog. I don't know. Everybody loves a good sneaker go head over to ebay and enjoy i'm so glad that you said that you took the question out of my mouth because i was going to ask if like if someone's thinking maybe something's off where would you point them so you all know where exactly to go right now and then i guess well you already said the the maybe some of the most common problems i am curious as to i don't know how to phrase this with the right wording but like how much of a role obviously it's a big role, but like what kind of role like the pelvic floor plays in like child in childbearing. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know like any better medical terms for that of like, and, and I guess, because I guess for at this age, you know, we're coming upon that soon. Um, so I'm, I guess I'm wondering for me, like, how do I know that I'm good to go for when I'm ready for that? And like, is there things I should be doing to like get myself ready for that and making sure I'm healthy for that when the time is right? Absolutely. So basically in a nutshell, your question is how does the pelvic floor function during pregnancy? Yes. Childbirth. So it's everything in pregnancy and childbirth because you're, we talked about that support thing, right? So now you have this growing baby inside of your body and your body is changing positions, changing posture, and kind of moving to make space for this baby and to adjust to this new found weight that's in the front of your body. So your body has to physically, like literally, it's like a physics thing that it adjusts to keep yeah. your weights on the top of your feet so you don't fall over every time you stand up. So your body is brilliant. So you'll do all of these changes, but your pelvic floor ultimately is what's supporting it from the base and up. Mm-hmm. So that's throughout pregnancy. And then if you're having a vaginal delivery, even if you're having a C-section, it's still holding the weight of your baby for nine to 10 months during pregnancy. But especially if you're having a vaginal delivery, 
the most important thing that I tell people is learn how to use that pelvic floor either like at the latest while you're pregnant, if you can, before you're pregnant, seek help from a licensed certified pelvic floor physical therapist to understand this one-on-one with them and figure that out. But if at the latest while you're pregnant and then at the absolute latest immediately postpartum, if you didn't get this information before that. And the reason why I say that is I will treat so many people. There's like a set of people that I'll treat while they're pregnant and then they'll have their baby and then they'll see me postpartum. Mm -hmm. And then there's a set of people that I treat who are just postpartum. And every single one of the people that I treated while they were pregnant, postpartum, even if they had an issue, even if there was something that went off, you know, that was a little bit, you know, annoying for them or interfering with the quality of their life, they were able to have the confidence the knowledge, the clarity, and the understanding to get back into what they wanted to do because of everything that we worked with during pregnancy. Also, the added layer of you got to keep another human being alive now. So there's a lot of stress that comes with that and a lot of time that's taken out of your life to do that. So then there's not enough time for you to take care of yourself. So once you learn these things while you're pregnant, then it's so much easier postpartum. But the people who see me postpartum, they're still fine. They're still able to overcome everything. They're still great. But if you had that knowledge beforehand, it's like, imagine that you're like going into a driver's test and it's like, you can take as many tests as you want, but you learned those like few techniques and you like parallel parked a couple of times before and you go into the test. And even if you didn't do the best and you have to come back, it's just easier the first time around if you just did the homework beforehand, right? It's like not the end of the world, but it just helps to have that knowledge beforehand. So what I tell people is find a pelvic floor physical therapist, get one-on-one care, do not go on the internet and ask Dr. Google how to do things. There's actually studies that show that people do not really learn very well by just being like reading or just being told like, do this, do that. You really need that one-on-one care. And also the answer is not, and I know you might actually be getting to this soon, but the answer is not do a million Kegels. That is actually very, very not, not the right answer. (laughs) So get the right help for your body because everybody's body is different. Yes. Oh my goodness. No, that's, that's incredibly helpful. Just having this conversation, I think makes the both of us be like, Ooh, (laughs) like, and just we're two people out of how many people, how many women who really don't know enough about something that's super, super important. And with every word that you speak, it's like, okay, she's not messing around. <laughs> um, yeah. And even in, and so it, as simple as like you pee when you laugh or you sneeze, or you're having pain during sex or postpartum, you're having all these problems. Like there's such a wide array of things that might be coming from this one targeted area. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. And you kind of just mentioned it there. We were going to bring up the whole Kegeling thing because I feel like that's the, the, out of everything, the thing people maybe throw around here and there, um, especially within like this age group, I feel like it's a, I don't want to say a joke, but like something that people do bring up. Um, so can you tell us what is that? Why is it, or is it not beneficial? Kind of like you started to share, um, and what are some better alternatives? (laughs) Sure. Okay. So firstly, let's just define the Kegel, right? So a Kegel is a pelvic floor contraction. So you remember we talked about how the muscles that are down in that area around your vaginal opening in between your vaginal and rectal area and your rectal area. Oh, that's the area that we're talking about where you would sit on if you were sitting on a bike, right? That whole region of your body, those muscles there contract and relax, just like your glutes, just like your biceps, 
just like any other muscle, except everywhere else we can see it more visibly. And down there, there's very little movement. You can't see it as much yeah. or feel it as much, but you still feel. So if you were to think about, we're going to do a bicep curl, right? So if you did a bicep curl, that's synonymous with doing a Kegel in that area. Okay. So that's a contraction. It's a squeezing and a lifting. It's an isolated movement in that area. It's not squeezing your butt. It's not squeezing your glutes. It's also not squeezing your inner thighs um, or your groin area. It, when you do it and you sit, there should be no movement in your body. So if somebody's like raises up in their seat a little bit and they're actually tightening up their glutes or if their knees are coming together, that's not what it is. You might also be doing that, but that's not an isolated pelvic floor muscle contraction. That's just you moving your body. And thinking that you're doing a pelvic floor <laughs> muscle contraction, aka a Kegel. So that's the definition of the Kegel. But in the same sense, would somebody go and do a million squats at the gym or a min million bicep curls all day long? They would probably be sore, especially if they're continuously doing it over and over and over again. And if they're not doing it with the right form, right? Like imagine you did squats and you're like, back was in a bad position, your knees were caving in and like you were kind of on your tippy toes and it just looked like really not right. Yeah. And you kept doing that over and over again, thinking that you're doing it correctly, right? Ah. But you never stretch your body. You never do the opposite of that motion. And you keep contracting that muscle over and over again. And also perhaps not contracting it all or contracting it incorrectly. That's not good for your body. Um, I'm actually treating somebody right now. She's, she's actually in her twenties. She is very smart. She, um, without in, in any patient information, basically she's very fit, does Pilates, goes to the gym, lifts weights, looks great, pain with intercourse. That's her problem. She's super strong. She's got everything. There's no back pain. She doesn't have any problems with her body. She just has pain with sex. And it's because she's been told, like myself, like lots of dancers, we're told to hold and suck and lift and suck and lift. Mm. We're told to really like contract and pull everything up so much in our lives. And that's what women are told that that can actually be detrimental, similar to how doing a million biceps makes your arms sore and not functional. If you're not like if you held two gallons of milk outstretched in your in each hand two in each hand for like 15 minutes, you probably won't be your four year old niece and an arm wrestle, right? Yeah. You're because it's so fatigued. It's just not going to work. Yeah. yeah. So the reason why I say that is that Kegels are important, just like squats are important, just like bicep curls are important. Strengthening is so important because it provides stability, that support to hold everything up, to hold everything in. But also things need to come in and out, right? Like we also have to have length and flexibility, especially if we're talking about a bowel movement, especially if we're talking about intercourse, especially if we're talking about childbirth. Things go in and out of that space just as much as we have to hold and support. So therefore, we need to be able to lengthen reverse that muscle contraction and also have the flexibility in that area. And that's what pelvic floor PTs teach. Wow. I know. <laughs> we are, we better have the same exact reaction. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm amazed. Cause it is, it is the one word that I hear like thrown around when it comes to this kind of stuff. Definitely. And I feel like also yeah. on that reverse side of, um, just like you were talking about, and I, my internet cut out a little, so I hope I'm not repeating something you said. I don't think so. Um, but 
with, um, like if you were to fatigue a muscle too much at the gym, then it would not feel good. But then also probably in the opposite way that's relevant is if all people know about this topic or think they know is Kegels and they do them once in a blue moon, um, maybe correctly, maybe incorrectly, that probably also isn't getting that strength. And like, it's not consistent either, whether it's incorrect or correct. You know, if there's that whole thing of at a red light and people remember once in a blue moon, (laughs) um, Yeah. So it's also probably like being consistent as with any other type of strengthening exercise and correctly form um, is probably also important and something that people don't think about. Is there a way to know if you're doing it correctly or incorrect? Like, well, you said incorrectly about moving the body, like if your body's moving, is there a way to know if you're doing it correctly, um, like just on your own? Or that's really something you have to work with, with uh, PT? So it's not that there's not a way, it's just that most people still don't, it's not most people, but many people can still get it wrong by doing self-assessment. That's the problem. It's because of a lack of awareness of what we're even like, what are the words that are coming out of my mouth Mm -hmm. is like a conundrum. Mm -hmm. So that's when it becomes a problem. It's not that you can't learn. I actually through telehealth will physically coach people how, like how to do it on themselves verbally and visually, just not you know, with any physical touch on them. But I think that um, the best way, so the quickest self-assessment, which is not the most accurate, but can still give you some understanding of what the heck is happening, um, is to actually put your hands in between, like your fingertips in between your vaginal and your rectal opening firmly. So it should feel like the tip of your nose, like you're laying on your back, you're just relaxed and you put decent amount of pressure so that you kind of like, like, you know, mm-hmm. feel like it's actually moving inward. Yeah. And then you try to squeeze and contract and relax and you see what's happening. Right. And, and so the reason why it's not the most accurate is that sure you can see what's happening, but then a professional will be able to tell you, is that a contraction? Is that a relaxation? And what are your compensations? Right. Yeah. Interesting. Cause I feel like I could never, I could never do it on myself. Like I feel like I just wouldn't even know, like, am I contracting? Am I relaxing? So <laughs> Going on. Better off going to a specialist, everybody. Do it correctly. (laughs) Do it the right way. But I'm glad you brought up the telehealth. And just speaking of, you brought it up before about some of the videos on your website. Could you tell us a little bit more about what's available to people on your website and just some like starter pieces where they could go if they're interested in working with you or other physical therapists in this area? Sure. So I would say the best place is um, www.snehaphysicaltherapy.com. I have a podcast also that you can see there. It has tons of pelvic health related topics. I've got guest speakers um, who are all in the health and wellness field who will talk about some of the similar things that we're talking about. So that's a good place to start. I also have a blog that you'll see on the website and um, there's a section on just pelvic related topics that you can, you know, kind of filter through And there I got like a pelvic floor 101. Like, what is your pelvic floor? What is, what, how do you know that you're constipated? How do you know that, you know, what type of urinary incontinence might you be experiencing? So it's all educational material for people to know things. Um, And then the video series that I talked about was called A Girl's Gotta Know. That's on YouTube. If you just YouTube that, you'll be able to find it. And that's, those are areas that you can get educational information on. 
um, your pelvic floor. And then if you wanted to book a consult with me, uh, I give free 10 minute phone consults to anybody who has a question. So you can just go straight on there. There's a book a consult button. People can just put in their information and then I will get back to them if they have a question on something related to their pelvic floor, if they're interested in starting with pelvic floor PT. If you're not living in New York, New Jersey, or Maryland, which are the places that I'm licensed in, I will help you get in touch with somebody in your state that is a licensed professional. I'll send you information to access that. But it's important for people to know about it. It's important for people to get help when they need it. I think too many people I've treated, I've just treated too many women. I think one is already too many, but I've treated just so many more than that of people who will come to me with years of issues and they'll say like 10, 15, 20, 30 years of pain, dysfunction, peeing themselves, pain with intercourse, you know, inability to, you know, reach an orgasm or painful orgasms or things that are just not okay. Mm. And um, they'll just be like, wow, I just wish I found you. Yeah. It's 1963 or whatever, you know? Yeah, no, that's why I'm so grateful that you're here and that you have these resources on your website, on your podcast, on your YouTube, because seriously, before hearing about you, I would have never thought <laughs> that if someone told me, oh, I'm having pain with intercourse, I would have never even thought to be like, maybe it's your pelvic floor. Like, not that I would diagnose anyone, but like, I would never even think that that would be like, oh, maybe she's having a problem with her pelvic floor. I would have never thought that because we don't learn about it. We don't know about it. So just, just you even just being here and saying, this is what I do is like so enough for someone to be like, oh, I I do have some weird things going on. Maybe I should look into that. Maybe it's an answer. So I'm just so, I'm so grateful because I really like, Yeah. Other thing that I'll say is that so many people will also go to a bunch of different doctors and they'll get imaging and they'll get x-rays and they'll get literally every scan in the book. Like they'll have, they'll think they have a UTI, but the labs and there's no bacterial infection. The culture's Mm -hmm. negative. They'll go through all of this workup because they're in pain in an area that makes no sense to them. And so they'll go through this years of like people telling them at the end, there's really nothing wrong with you. I think it's in your head at this point. And Mm -hmm. so they'll have to go to get mental health help, which is not even it's at that point, they definitely do need it because they've just been so frustrated. Yes. But it's it's the problem is it's also something that's physically going on. It's not just a mental health issue. There's also a physical component to it. And so validating somebody's issue and validating their pain and telling them that this thing that you're experiencing is not made up in your head is also so important. Yeah, definitely. And you kind of brought this up and we didn't plan on asking this, but it just like came up in my head um, a couple of actually a long a while of episodes ago. Um, we had a sex therapist on our podcast and she was incredible. Um, and one of the things I don't know if we actually got to talk about with her, but something that I know our friends talk about and is not uncommon is people struggling to reach orgasm with sex. And so I think a lot of people internalize that like, oh, maybe I'm not able to be in the moment or like all these different things. And how much of a role does your pelvic floor play in that? Because I think people attribute it to all different kinds of things and never think about that. Great question. So the definition of like what happens in an orgasm is literally a rhythmical contraction of your pelvic floor muscles. That's literally what it is that gives you a sensation of pleasure, like around, like the nervous input around your muscles. So if your muscles are not functioning correctly, it is going to be difficult to reach an orgasm. Mm-hmm. There's also a very much of a psychosocial component. Absolutely. Of course. But there's also a very physical component that's integrated with that mental health component. That's why it's so similar. Yeah. Um, everything that's going on in your brain and body are so connected. 
It's yeah. smart. It knows what's happening. And so inability to reach an orgasm could literally be a pelvic floor muscle dysfunction mm. in many cases. Wow. Yeah. How common is people that struggle, but that have like pelvic floor dysfunction? I don't know if that's like too general of a question. Yeah. It, I mean, so there's, there's a lot of different categories. So pelvic floor dysfunction itself is sort of an umbrella term for mm-hmm. anything that could go wrong with your muscles, your ligaments, your nerves in that area, the connective tissue in that area. Mm-hmm. So there's different types of pelvic floor dysfunction. Like for example, we've touched on a lot of them today, right? Like yeah, yeah. urinary incontinence, pelvic organ prolapse, pain with intercourse. They're all different types of pelvic floor dysfunctions. All of them have slightly different statistics, but in my opinion, none of those statistics make any sense because nobody, ain't nobody coming over here and being like, I can't pee myself. I signed up for this study. Like nobody's doing that. So extremely underreported. Um, I just don't think those studies really give enough, uh, importance or enough really worth to how much of a problem many of those things probably are. I think they're just a general group of, and also it's a cultural thing, right? So certain groups are not going to report this. If it's literally like, you can't say the word sex, you can't say vagina. Like if you can't say those words in that culture, how the heck are you supposed to come out in a research article to study it and to see what the prevalence incidence and, you know, the statistics really are. So, yeah, thank you for answering that. Honestly, it's, it's not something we plan on talking about, but I, I just remember this moment in, in that conversation we had a few months ago and she talked about it, it, it the whole purpose of of the question that we had asked her was to release the shame around women who do struggle uh, to reach orgasm. And, and then in my head, I'm, and I'm like, huh, but if it's related to exactly what you're talking about, people just don't know to start there or right. to ask that question. Um, and it's, it's not what they think it is. I'm just like, I'm like, huh. <laughs> um, I think that's like kind of what you said before about validating somebody's experience that it might not be in your head. It actually might be something physical. And I think especially going back to what we kind of talked about earlier with women, a lot of the times, especially throughout history, I think a little bit here, we're getting a little bit better with that. But a lot of times women are told it's in your head mm-hmm. and they don't know who to go to. Or like you said, you can't even say the certain words or the certain symptoms. And I think it's it's just important to even bring up the topic of conversation. I'm glad you asked that, Brenda. Yeah, it's a great question. It's, it's it's important. And I think that as we have these kinds of conversations and as younger people, Gen Z and everyone is able to identify and be more in touch with their physical and mental health in a way that other generations are not, I think that we'll, we'll get a lot closer to that, to that space, which is the goal. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and out of curiosity, in terms of like your own personal routines, are there any like practices, rituals, or like anything you incorporate into your day? It can be related to, um, what you do or totally not just to get to know you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, firstly, one thing that I do every single morning when I get up is I will do a couple of my stretches that are very personalized for my body that I figured out based on my self-assessments with physical therapy. So I know what my strengths and weaknesses are. And so I'll do my little routine that takes about like eight to 10 minutes. And then I'll do my breathing exercises, which I do an alternate nostril breathing technique, which I learned being a yoga. Well, I, I've known this for a long time because my family practices these um, ancient Indian traditions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I also was able to get certified in uh, yoga teacher training and was able to kind of explain that in a more scientific way in certain senses. So I do that every morning. While I do that, I incorporate my public floor exercises, which includes a contraction and relaxation of your pelvic floor muscles in specific sequences with different kinds of holds and different kinds of pulses and relaxation to help 
keep the, the function of my pelvic floor strong yet flexible. And then I, I think one of the things that I do every night before I go to sleep is I have, and this is actually from the book. What is it called? Magic. It's a, it's a people who wrote the secret. The lady who looked, wrote the book. Oh, the secret. What's her name? Oh, Oh, I know just listening to her on a podcast. I know you're yeah. Okay. So she wrote another book. I think it's called magic, but the whole book surrounds uh, is surrounded around the concept of gratitude. There's so many exercises and so many things that you're supposed to do every day. But she, I remember even reading at one point, she's like, you're not going to do all of this, but just pick at the end of this. I just want you to be able to pick up something that you keep up with. And so ever since I read that, um, one of the things that they said is get, um, like a small token, like a physical token that you can hold and you can say the things that you're grateful for every day. And so I have a little token that I hold every single night it's by my bedside table. And I will say the three things that I was grateful for that day. And then if my husband is going to sleep at the same time as me, which never happens because he's watching sports, um, then he'll do it with me. <laughs> I love that. I love getting your husband to do it with you. <laughs> How good this makes me feel. Do it with me. <laughs> I love that. I love those. Um, I'm curious, did, did your yoga training have anything to do with like, I mean, I'm sure it did about getting more in touch with knowing when your body is like off, feeling right or feeling off? That actually came from a very young age because I'm a, I was a professional dancer for a long time. I'm an Indian classical dancer. My mom is a dance teacher. She was also a professional dancer growing up. Um, and so dance really got me in tune with my body. And I think that's where a lot of my kind of physical, my interest for the physical human body and the way that we move our bodies, it mm -hmm. comes from there. And yeah. then practicing yoga for years growing up, and then finally becoming a teacher helped kind of solidify a lot of that information. Yeah. Um, and then becoming a doctor physical therapy was just kind of a nice the cherry on top for yeah. all of that. Oh, amazing. You have been so incredible. I can't thank you enough for joining us and talking about this topic with us. And just, I, I know we've only scratched the surface, but yeah. uh, just to even put the word out there, uh, a pel pelvic physical therapist, I think is <laughs> a start. Yes. Um, so very, very grateful. And I want to know if you could tell your like younger self one thing when you were getting started with your business, when you were getting started on this path, um, if you could tell your younger self one thing, what would it be? You're never going to know where you end up. I think that's what I would tell myself. Because I don't think I had a clue where I was headed. I think in theory, who said it? Somebody said um, it's like planning. Something about like planning is everything. Or not planning is like, you know, just setting yourself up for success. But, you know, you're never going to get anywhere with that plan. It's just the process of planning is the important thing. Mm -hmm. So I think that kind of stuck with me. And I realized soon along the lines that you put this plan together and that's so important. And then you just go with the flow as the plan evolves. And I'm a very type A, like checklist, like this is this, this very like goal oriented, targeted kind of a person. And so for me, kind of getting, breaking away from that and kind of being more creative and letting my mind mm -hmm. try different things is a challenge. I think I would have told myself like, just keep doing the checklist, but just be open and don't resist when something pulls you in a certain direction, because it's just going to take you in a place that you'll never know it could have taken you. Yeah. Oh, so beautiful. And our last question is where can people find you? Where can they find your practice? If they want to work with you, if they want to connect with you, let us know all the things. 
Sure. So you can hang with me on Instagram at Sneha Physical Therapy. And my website is snehaphysicaltherapy.com. Those are really like the best places to catch me. Um, if you have a question, again, you can book a consult um, on that form and then I'll send you an email within 48 hours and we'll hop on the phone and we'll talk about what's going on with your body. And I just see what's going on and direct you the right way if my way is not the right way. So that those are kind of the best ways. And then of course, YouTube, I, I'm not super active on YouTube, but I do have a video series going on there right now as we speak. Yes. Um, yesterday we released episode three. So I'm sure by the time this comes out, everything will be out. But yeah, that's where oh, you find me. Amazing. I will link all of those things in the show notes so that you can easily access her. Thank you so, so much for being with us. This was so eye-opening, so amazing. And if anybody out there is struggling, it's okay. There's someone now you could turn to and you're not alone. Clearly you're not alone. So thank you so, so much for your thank time, you. your wisdom, everything. We're so appreciative. Of course, it was absolutely my pleasure. Amazing. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to Roaring Twenties Podcast. Be sure to rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and please subscribe. You're never alone. Our pride sticks together. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Roaring Twenties Podcast. You get to start your week with us and end your week with us. With love, Brenda and Julia. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.